You're listening to the Optimal State Podcast. Here we go. Hive Mind Detonation in three, two, one. Let's go. Confronting the lies and bringing the truth to light. The, the mainstream. You can't handle the truth. Has been put on notice. This is the Optimal State Podcast. Allow me to welcome everyone to another episode of the Optimal State Podcast. Today is Monday, February 27th, 2023, the final week of February, going into the first week of March. Spring is just around the corner, rebirth, and the cycle continues. Looking ahead to the trends emerging in the week before us, on today's episode, we will be discussing the train derailment that occurred in Ohio and how this could be one of the many triggers used to push forward climate lockdowns. We'll also be discussing how last week, Russian President Vladimir Putin and President of the U.S. Joe Biden each stood at their respective podiums and each made a case to the world for the necessity of their respective worldviews winning out. We'll give a listen and read some of snippets from each and offer our responses. And lastly, we'll take a look at libertarianism and how its fundamental principles stack up against some of the problems we're facing today in the modern world. That and more ahead on the Optimal State podcast. My name is Jared, and here is the man of many men and co-host of the show, Adam. Welcome, my friend. How are you today? How are you doing, Jared? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just... uh. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's uh, a lot of uh, good stuff that we're going to be talking about today. I think that they're all very important um, topics that, you know, uh, that people need to know about when it comes to, you know, the the world and how we kind of view it about what's going on right now. And uh, I think you know, our, our viewpoints are um, going to hopefully will, you know, kind of change what people are thinking about those situations. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Hopefully help with cutting through some of the noise because it does seem like there's a lot of noise, a lot of disturbance, a lot of getting people to try to look certain ways in instead of maybe seeing certain things that are uh, would be more obvious if there if there wasn't so much noise and disturbance in the way. So sounds good, man. No, I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation today. I think it's going to be a good one. So. That being said, let's let's just dive right in. I think first up, we'll talk about the train derailment that happened in East Palestine, East Palestine, Ohio. It's, of course, very interesting name symbolically, but uh, this occurred earlier in February on the 3rd, and uh, a train that was carrying several chemicals, vinyl chloride, butyl acrylate, and isobutylene. Uh, these are all chemicals that are used to make various plastics, uh, very toxic stuff, as you can imagine. Known carcinogens. And uh, the interesting and I'd say sinfully tragic thing about where the crash site occurred is that, well, it's, it's located basically at one of the early parts of the Mississippi watershed. So this is the the uh 
essentially the source of where everything downstream will be affected by what first starts here uh, at this part of the watershed. So all the chemicals that spilled and are now seeping deep into the ground, well, they're, they're getting into the water table and they're affecting everything along the course of water as it drains towards the Mississippi basin. Um, there's something in the Gulf of Mexico that not many people know too much about. It's, it's not often discussed in the mainstream media or even really called out by so-called environmentalists or anti-pollution activists. And that is what's called the hypoxic dead zone. So I'm, I'm taking the following from an article that was published by the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. <clears throat> a dead zone or hypoxic zone is an area of low oxygen that can harm fish and marine life near the bottom of the sea. And there are hundreds of dead zones in coastal waters around the world. The Gulf of Mexico's dead zone is one of the largest. But what's harming all that ocean life? Unfortunately, without meaning to, we all are. But wait, you probably don't even live near the Gulf. So how can you be responsible? Well, think about the last meal you ate. Some of that food may have grown right here in the middle of the United States. Now think about the hundreds of millions of people across the country and the billions around the world. They all need to eat too. To meet that demand for all that food, farmers rely on fertilizer or nutrients that help plants grow and increase crop output. We end up with more food on our tables and more food to sell to the rest of the world. But what does a farm in the middle of the country have to do with fish dying in the ocean? Well, to answer that, we have to look at the Mississippi River. Think of the Mississippi River as a drainage system for your street, except it connects 31 U.S. states and even parts of Canada. That's the Mississippi watershed. When farmers apply fertilizer, the excess nutrients, such as nitrogen and phosphorus, can run off during a rainstorm or snowmelt and end up in the waterways that feed the Mississippi River. And farms aren't the only source of excess nutrients or nutrient pollution. Urban runoff, such as fertilizer from lawns and golf courses, and discharges from sewage treatment plants also feed into the Mississippi. These nutrients are ultimately funneled into the Gulf of Mexico, sometimes traveling more than a thousand miles downstream, to start a chain of events in the Gulf that turns deadly. The nutrients cause plants known as algae to grow out of control, fueling large blooms that then sink, decompose, and consume oxygen in the water. This is hypoxia, when oxygen in the water is so low it can no longer sustain marine life in bottom or near bottom waters, literally a dead zone. Fish and shrimp, they leave the area and anything that can't escape, like crabs, worms, and clams, they die. And it happens every summer. The exact size of the Gulf dead zone well, varies each year. Scientists collect water samples across the Gulf to determine the size. Uh, the dead zone can be as large as the state of New Jersey. That's right. That means millions of acres of habitat potentially unavailable to fish and bottom species. If the amount of pollution entering the Gulf isn't reduced, the dead zone will continue to wreak havoc on the ecosystem and threaten some of the most productive fisheries in the world. So that's the end of that article. Uh, kind of bleak. Um, 
although it kind of presents it in a more detached fashion. But I think when you when you look at the World Economic Forum and and their agenda 2030, they make very clear that they don't see the United States staying the world superpower for very much longer, certainly not by 2030. And I they alluded to this in that article I just read. But if you were to look at the United States, like the Mississippi River as this sort of uh, perfect circulatory system, we can even look at it like a human and the river like its spinal center, north to south. It's the lifeblood of that region and the gulf that's beyond it. But already the agricultural industrial complex, it's been poisoning it slowly. I mean, and two two modern civilizations benefit. We we certainly benefit greatly from having such abundant food sources, but uh, the the fertilizer and the the other runoff it goes into the Gulf, whether we like it or not, and it's been poisoning it slowly. But now it it seems like the chemical spill and what may come later due to intentional collapse controlled collapse of infrastructure there could be areas along the corridor of the mississippi that ultimately bleed into it and i i think along much we'll start seeing the vulnerability of a lot of environmental systems overall so adam what do you think about all that man anything you want to contribute it's is that is that um is that what the red tide is when all like the dead animal uh, <clears throat> dead fish and all that stuff they uh they always come up on the gulf coast i know they had a, a really bad year i don't know if it was last year um all the fish and um marine life kind of wash up on the shore it's like a normalized thing you know they call it the, the red tide i'm not sure if that's what that is but i remember the oil spill that um what was that back in like oh three or something like that with um with bp and oil spill um no i, I heard dolphins um Right up on beach, because uh, I think it. I dots. think it is that, and it's just like you say. It's they try to paint it as something different. Uh, I could because you know ultimately it's the red tide. They're referring to the algae that I think is growing. If if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that's what they're talking about is an algae bloom, and uh, basically this is what leads to the hypoxic dead zone. So. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, is is the red tide. Yeah, and and it's very hard to say that I don't I don't know if it all these events are like kind of done on purpose. Um hey, I would kind of think of it myself and uh I was thinking to myself the other day about you know the train the train derailment all that all that stuff and what I came to the conclusion was like these companies have every incentive not to pay workers, not to fix their infrastructure, not to really do anything except try to make money. And you get an event like this. And it's it was obviously foreseen because they made a movie about it, White Noise. Anybody could look And that was up. a book actually even before that. I don't look when it was published, but it, it, but it, the very fact that when these events happen Government always kind of says, "Oh, we had no idea this was going to happen. We didn't, we, you know, nine eleven, house market crash, all that stuff." 
So oh, we had no idea. This uh, this came out of nowhere. It's just you know these companies and even government at the end of the day, they're they're just not reliable enough to um put faith in when it comes to anything uh like environmental environmental give me a break i mean these are the people that they destroy everything around them about the government i mean anytime the government actually gets in control of anything it just destroys it absolutely destroys it and then people think that government is good and it's going to help them and it's funny because we're going to talk about this with the whole libertarian um movement you know and stuff like that but it's just sad that people get fooled by you know like these grifters like elon musk selling ev cars saying you know i'm a you know i care about the world and then he buys a private jet and these kids are mining this sh- whatever i don't even know what they're mining in i don't know africa or where else i mean they're probably child slave labor there you know just like apple oh, yeah. iPhone, the chinese laborers you know like why do people have trust in anybody in government or corporations it's very sad. And, you know, this is what ends up happening. We end up having to deal with the consequences because what they want to do in the goal, and this is actually pertains to the BP oil spill, the whole goal is to blame the consumer at the end of the day. It's your fault that this happened. It's your fault that you drive your car to work every day and you put, you know, ha- ha- you know a few tons of carbon into the air. It's your fault, you know, and it, it's just ridiculous because we're being set up to fail in this regard um, because the government wants to step in and everything. And what I, what I told my uncle and I tell people about the whole EV thing, don't push it on us because then government is coming in and they're interfering with the free market for what? And we all know it's usually not good. You know, when the government intervenes in these types of things, it's not really for the consumer. It's really, you know, probably to set up the control system um, because obviously using EV cars are, you know, a lot more controllable than having gas cars. Um, you know, your freedom could be taken at any moment. Grid goes down. Um, you know, you don't have power that night or the government decides, Oh, we got to shut down the, um, uh, we got to shut down the grid for a little while because we're overloaded. Sorry. Can't drive. Um, I've heard horror stories. Dude, remember that freaking, um, text message I sent you with the, um, family or the two people that got, or six people or four or six people on the car, their uh, Tesla caught on fire randomly and, and killed some other people. Like, I don't have to worry about my car catching on fire randomly and my car's going into the oncoming lane and killing people. I mean, that's like a freaking bomb. I mean, give me they, a break. They used, to, they used to show that in movies though, back in the day, like the car would just like drive off a cliff and randomly burst into flames. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it's like, You're yeah, like wait a second. Yeah, it's totally absurd. It's totally absurd. And don't like, and if the government is going to pick sides on this thing, you know, they're going to pick a side that obviously is going to allow them to have more control in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I mean, you got to ask yourself, where do, where do the source of most uh, the rare earth metals for most of these batteries, the, the lithium ion batteries that we're going to be using for these cars, I presume is what that was, what they're using. And we don't mind that in the United States, not to my knowledge or not abundantly at the very least. I mean, most of this, uh, these metals come from abroad. They come from uh, China, specifically, I believe Mongolia. So uh, I think they, they use a lot of what, what, 
a lot of environmentalists would deem not very environmental means of getting a lot of these these metals, I, I would presume. Well, it amazes me that how all these people turn a blind eye to world slavery. But American slavery is a totally an atrocity. But, you know, the kids in China and the kids in Bangladesh and all the kids in Libya. You know, and uh, it's not to take away from slavery because, as you said, like I'm Slovakian and that's where slave comes from. So maybe my family was enslaved too. So, but that, that has, that's neither here or there. I'm just saying that, you know, from the ethical standpoint, you would think that all human life is equal to all. But once again, you have like celebrities and rich people and, you know, picking sides because, you know, I mean, like, oh, well, obviously the kids in China built my iPhone and they built my fucking car. You know, we, let's forget about them. But, you know, the, the people that were slaves 150 years ago, they're, they're the priority. It's like, you know, it's so backwards. And, and like I said, I'm not taking away from slavery in America. But the whole point is you have to treat all human life equally. And these people don't. And that's why, you know, it's a big, big scam. Oh, for sure. And I mean, things are when things are packaged up a certain way and 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 easily digestible for certain people. Uh, I'm talking about like the the kind of slave narrative. Modern day slavery to a lot of people is just too ugly of a story to confront. A lot of people just can't handle a lot of the knowledge around. Um, I think it's something like 40 million people are trafficked in a, a year something along those lines and uh i mean the number is yeah at any given time i'm looking actually this is on u.s customs and border protection at any given time in 2016 an estimated 40.3 million people are in modern slavery including 24.9 million in forced labor and 15.4 million in forced marriage. Well, that 25 million in forced labor, you know, if you're wondering where your your phone's coming from, you know, it's uh guarantee some of that forced labor is is mining some of that lithium out of the out of those mines in uh Mongolia. I would I would think venture a guess. Yeah, I think million uh, in forced marriage. That's crazy, though. That's a little. I mean, I wonder how they define that. Well, and <laughs> the funniest part is you have these <clears throat> athletes that you know they're they're kneeling for brutality and police brutality and whatever it is, and they're literally wearing Nike shit made right. by <laughs> fucking kid in you know what I mean? A kid in fucking China, man. You're, you are like trying to say that you care about human life and that you care about it reminds you know, me it reminds me of this know, meme it's absurd and so like they don't absurd. even think it, it, they don't think that we know that they think we're just so consumed by their amazing ability that we're not gonna see that and it's just it's so ridiculous and i all i see is the irony and the double standards with all of this stuff because they can't get away from it that's how you know it's all a lie and it's not true because because, you know, if you see a double standard, you know, you know that there's something wrong. Yeah, that's all they present. Double, triple, quadruple standards. You know, it's funny. It did, reminds me of this meme where uh, you see uh, two children. They look like they could be in Afghanistan, somewhere in the Middle East. They're looking up and they're saying, oh, thank goodness. Uh, we now have a 
a president who believes in gay marriage dropping bombs on our head, you know, as they're shedding a tear. It's just the double standard is 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 always like, you know, very. Uh, uh, it's just so fun. It's funny, but very tragic at the same time. So um, I guess well, that I mean, being said, it, well, oh, no, I was just gonna say, it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, real quick. I just want to say it's tragic because these people are so full of themselves; they refuse to see it. You know, so I don't oh, care how much like work you're doing with people if you can't handle being criticized or at least objectively criticized for the way you choose to live your life in a way that is, um, in a, a way that adheres to this double standard. And, you know, who's going to take you seriously unless you're just an idiot? Yeah, you got to call it out. I mean, you you just you can't play into it at all. That's that's the really the bottom line. I think that's kind of our position really in all of this is uh, how we're presenting it anyway going forward. But so let's just pause right there. We're going to go to break. And uh, we're, when we come back, yeah. we're going to. Well, uh, Jared, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm saying it real quick. It always kind of makes you think about I was going to say it always, it always kind of makes you think about Kim Jong-un, how he fools everybody into believing, you know, he's great when he's the only fat guy in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and his, you know, his is the closest to him, right? I think his family looks pretty well fed too, like his daughter and uh his brother did until uh his, his brother got like oh what did he get? Poison? He got like seraphin in the face or something like that. Is Jay, oh we we'll talk about that chunky, one. You know what I mean? Like they are all okay, chunky. Yeah. Sorry, no, no worries, man. No, no, no. But let's uh yeah, let's go to break quick and uh when we come back we'll pick this up and we'll get into talking about uh Putin's speech, Biden's speech, and uh, maybe a little bit of libertarianism. All right, it's the Optimal State Podcast. We'll be right back. back everybody uh, this is adam the optimal state podcast <clears throat> we're going to be talking about Putin's speech and biden's speech uh that was given last week uh, we're going to go over some points um some things that we think are very important uh, we're going to try to dissect um each speech a little bit and that way uh you know you guys can get a kind of idea of uh what we feel about it and uh yeah so uh, let's just get into it now, here's a uh, biden speech Part of it faced the test for the ages europe was being tested america was being tested nato was being tested all democracies are being tested and the questions we face were as simple as they were profound 
Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, we, would be, would we the, all of our allies, would be united or divided? One year later, we know the answer. We did respond. We would be strong. We would be united. And the world would not look the other way. <laughs> we also face fundamental questions about the commitment to the most basic of principles. Would we stand up for the sovereignty of nations? Would we stand up for the right of people to live free from naked aggression? Would we stand up for democracy? One year later, we know the answers. Yes, we would stand up for sovereignty, and we did. Yes, we would stand up for the right of people to live free from aggression, and we did. And we would stand up for democracy, and we did. And yesterday, I had the honor to stand with President Zelensky in Kyiv to declare that we will keep standing up for these same things, no matter what. <clears throat> When President Putin ordered his tanks to roll into Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. The Ukrainian people are too brave. America, Europe, a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific, we were too unified. Democracy was too strong. Instead of an easy victory, he perceived and predicted. Putin left with burnout tanks and Russia's forces in delay and dis in disarray. He thought he'd get the Findalization of NATO. Instead, he got the NATOization of Finland and Sweden. He thought NATO would fracture and divide. Instead, NATO was more united and more unified than ever, than ever before. He thought he could weaponize energy to crack your resolve, Europe's resolve. Instead, we're working together to end Europe's dependence on Russian fossil fuels. He thought autocrats like himself were tough and leaders of democracy were soft. And then he met the iron will of America and the nations everywhere that refused to accept the world governed by fear and force. He found himself at war with a nation led by a man whose courage would be forged in fire and steel. President Zelensky, President Putin, President Putin. All right. Thoughts on that completely 100% factual intro to Biden's speech in Poland last week. Adam, please. It's just so hard to watch. Um, we talked about the contradictions, the double standards before, and uh, it's a perfect example of the double standard, the infinite double standard that we um, see everyday life with these people that are running the country. Um, it's uh, it's really disgusting because I look at it like it's some little Syrian or a kid in Iraq watching this, you know, like it's just so ridiculous, you know, and then he gives props to uh, Zelensky. And uh, it's like, what the fuck, man? Fire well, and steel. I mean, give me a break, man. And it's interesting, too, because think of, like, the values he keeps going back to as being these really fundamental principles that he's he's advocating. And, and he said it multiple times. He, he went back to 
what was it? Sovereignty, it, it, a democracy, and this sort of like uh, like strength in the face of what he calls naked aggression, right? Uh, and this is so he's not talking about like the safety, the well being, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, he's talking about almost these really like. Uh, he's a aggra- the the speech is aggressive that he's using in a lot of ways you know it's like don't mess with me dude or i'm gonna mess you up uh if you compare this to the speech that putin gave it, it really is like the it's such a stark contrast yeah well he doesn't even discuss um the the political side of it he's just rambling on about idealism, democracy sovereignty yeah, yeah idealism yeah it's not what does that even um, mean right i mean it's like on his on their terms you know on the the funders of the military industrial complex's terms and again you know this is something that putin did harp on in his speech uh to the world and more and more false promises that's all i hear um it's yeah, it has nothing to do with, you know, the money being sent to, sent there or the military industrial complex just keeping war, basically, as um keeping war going as a business model. Uh, we don't really know what's going on. We because we're not being told what's really going on, obviously. Um, and it just it kind of brings us to, you know, like Putin's speech. I I just think that he was a lot more correct in the way that um he addresses uh you know world the, the world political climate um it's i don't know i mean he a perfect example he says i would like to recall that in the 1930s the west had virtually paved the way to power for the nazis in germany at the time they started turning ukraine into an anti-russia actually the project is not new people who are knowledgeable about history at least to some extent realize that this project dates back to the 19th century the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Poland and concede it for one purpose, that is to deprive Russia of these historical territories that are now called Ukraine. This is their goal. Nothing is new here. They're repeating everything. I mean, at least he's giving you context about a little bit of world history. and Historical context. Correct. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? He's not just rambling on about some idealistic... Yeah, picking neat, like picking idea, like uh, words out of a hat. It it sounds like, you know, naked aggression and uh, democracy. They throw democracy around like it's this this holy. Oh, you cannot touch democracy. It is so sacred. It's ridiculous when you really break it down. What does democracy mean? You know, we're not even technically a democracy. We're a representative or a democratic republic. We elect these buffoons to represent us uh as as our democratic representatives um if it was a true democracy it would be closer to probably closer to socialism in that we would need to have these more local voting blocks on everything and i mean oh man the bureaucracy that would would uh would create and we already see it when you have this like endless endless bureaucracy just departments upon departments for how many paper clips you get on your desk, uh, how much air you could put in the tires for the cart that moves the mail around, et cetera. There's departments for that. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think that was a good one that you touched on. I actually, uh, one that stuck out to me from the speech was from Putin's speech, uh, which it, it's funny because it really almost seems like a rebuttal. I, I forget who, who's, do you remember who's, whose speech came first? I think Putin made his speech first. Yeah, I believe he, he made it at the beginning of the week, right? Always oh, last week. And then it, I guess Biden followed it. It's funny because a lot of what he says sounds like a, it's just, well, I mean, everything that he says is a refute or a, a refutal of uh, just American values. And I mean, here he says, we are defending human lives and our common home while the West seeks unlimited power. It has already spent over $150 billion on helping and arming the Kiev regime. To give you an idea, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the G7 countries earmarked about $60 billion in 2020 to 2021 to help the world's poorest countries. Is this clear? They spent $150 billion on the war while giving $60 billion to the poorest countries, despite pretending to care about them all the time and also conditioning the support on obedience on behalf of the beneficiary countries. What about all this talk of fighting poverty, sustainable development, and protection of the environment? Where did it all go? Has it all vanished? Meanwhile, they keep channeling more money into the war effort. They eagerly invest in sowing unrest and encouraging government coups in other countries around the world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that sounds uh, a little bit more accurate than uh, the whole Biden uh, speech. Uh because, like I said, there's no historical significance to Biden's speech. It's just all worthless political rhetoric. And I, I want to read this, too, because this is a perfect um, a perfect example of, once again, the double standards and the contradictions that we see every day, day, out, day in and day out from these people. This is according to U.S. experts, almost 900,000 people were killed during the world's unleashed by the United States after 2001. And over 38 million became refugees. Please note, we did not invent these statistics. It is the Americans who are providing them. They are now simply trying to erase all this from the memory of humankind, and they are pretending that all this never happened. However, no one in the world has forgotten this or ever will forget it. None of them cares about human casualties and tragedies because many trillions of dollars are at stake, of course. They can only continue to rob everyone under the guise of democracy and freedoms to impose neoliberal and essentially totalitarian, totalitarian values, to brand entire countries, and nations to publicly insult their leaders, suppress dissent in their own countries, and divert attention from corruption scandals by creating an enemy image. We continue to see all of this on television, which highlights greater domestic, domestic economical, social, and inter-ethnic problems, contradictions, and disagreements. I mean, there, I mean, it just sums up what we're kind of talking about, uh, like the double standard of the U.S. going in and basically raping and pillaging these countries uh, for their resources, uh, dumping money into the military industrial complex, uh, all that stuff. I mean, he's basically saying it and, you know, it, it's up to you if you want to believe it. Uh, I mean, it, it's just sad that I agree more with President Putin, President Putin, um, especially what he talks about here when it comes to Biden's worthless speech about nothing. Yeah, and I mean, he really called it out. I mean, he calls out the uh, the the symbolic or the use of of democracy, you know, in this in this insubstantial sort of way. You know, he calls it out, and also, um, you know, the just the gross projection of of uh, 
Val, it's just a double speak, you know. I think it's it's really telling. Um, you know, I, I think the one final thing I would like to say about the speech really would just be this final um section uh where he discusses and is very accurate about like what's going on in kind of like the 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 war on the American people. And I, I you just touched on this earlier with the the snippet you touched on, which is about how they use diversion to take our attention away from like the important stuff. And they're actually going after the American people to do that, their own people so that they could fulfill their own uh, pretty evil soulless missions uh, to just line their own pockets. But um, so this is also from Putin's speech. Look what they are doing to their own people. It is all about the destruction of the family, of cultural and national identity, perversion and abuse of children, including pedophilia, all of which are declared normal in their life. They are forcing the priests to bless same-sex marriages. Bless their hearts. Let them do as they please. Here is what I would like to say in this regard. Adult people can do as they please. We in Russia have always seen it that way and always will. No one is going to intrude into other people's private lives, and we are not going to do it either. But here is what I would like to tell them. Look at the Holy Scripture and the main books of other world religions. They say it all, including that family is the union of a man and a woman. But these sacred texts are now being questioned. Reportedly, the Anglican Church is planning, just planning to explore the idea of a gender-neutral God. What is there to say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Millions of people in the West realize that they are being led to a spiritual disaster. Frankly, the elite appear to have gone crazy, and it looks like there is no cure for that. But like I said, these are their problems. While we must protect our children, which we will do, we will protect our children from degradation and degeneration. And you don't hear that coming from Joe Biden in uh, protecting the children from degradation. You know, the the primary objective for them is to just destroy this evil man, which he said in his speech, which is they they are just pushing this idea that Russia is the evil man that needs to be destroyed. This like comic book narrative, you know, that mouth breathing Marvel fans, nothing again. Love, love. Well, do I love Marvel movies? No, not really, honestly, but just nothing against it. dude. You know, everybody's got their thing. But it's like they they're selling this comic book narrative, you know, and that's uh, it's it's like laughably bad. And it just shows how disconnected Biden and his ilk really are from, I think, most people. And uh, they think that they could just pull the same overused story over everyone's eyes and that it's going to work. <laughs> totally. And I, the funny part is, I mean, nobody wants to live in Russia. I'm not right. I'm not saying that you know he's he's you know uh, this amazing man that's leading this country into greatness but you have to look at the message not the messenger and what he's saying is correct in that context um we are ruled by a group of elites um that's just even if you want to break that down who do you th you think that Joe Biden or, I mean, really any of these presidents, whether it's George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, whatever, are really running these things. So if they're not running it, they're most likely figureheads. And then who is running them? And then we say maybe the World Economic Forum. But they're 
kind of like the front men as well. Right. Because you have to, you know, the who is behind M. And we'll never know that, obviously. But it, it he is correct in the fact that, you know, we are ruled by elites because they have the money. And that's where all the money is. And to think that we're a country of, you know, great worldly values and you know our politicians are in control of these things it's it just doesn't seem practical and it's not a conspiracy because you just have to assume that the money is what's running the country and that i mean that is the most likely prob- uh, most likely probability of all that and it's you know i mean if you you can come up with any conclusion that you want uh regarding that but I, I truly believe that the people that are controlling this country are, as Putin once said, the men in black suits. Totally. It was kind of something interesting in that last little section I was reading. It, it sounded like Putin was libertarian-esque almost. You know, I mean, a lot of what he was saying, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm about, listen, what people want to do in their own free time, they could do what they want. You know, I'm not... I'm not like watching you, right? I mean, it's that was kind of his take, but at the same time, being like, you know, I believe in being a morally just guy and the state being that. That's kind of what he was saying. So, just, uh, you know, maybe the segue kind of to our uh, libertarian discussion is uh, maybe that's a libertarian take from from our pal Vlad over there. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, if you're if you're gay and you get found out. Russia, I believe, like you can go to jail, face jail time. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that because my neighbor uh, was Russian and uh, she told me that she was able to get citizenship because she said that she feared oppression in her country for being gay. So, which she wasn't, but she uh, used that as an excuse. Well, you got to wonder: is it being being gay or is it obscenity laws? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I've never I really don't know either. It. You know, I mean, uh, regardless of like obscenity laws, I don't want to see like anybody doing anything in public when it regards, in regards to sexual behavior or doing anything that is, uh, um, I mean, I don't see it, but I'm just saying that when it regard, regarding uh, obscenity laws, I just, you know, I couldn't imagine anybody, you know, doing anything in public. And uh, I, I don't know if like, people do that in russia you know they make that shit known i don't know yeah well okay so i guess being libertarian right i mean that we're kind of talking about that um ultimately what is what should be the extent of the law in certain certain situations um and i think like you and i would both define ourselves you probably more than me a bit you would define yourself as a libertarian i think safe to say yeah, I don't like really um, political parties. I, I I always classify myself as an independent because you know I, there's certain things that I believe from every party a little bit. But uh, you know, I think that if you're gonna define my political party of um, of choice, it would probably be libertarian. Uh, libertarian. And what would you? So if you could define libertarianism, if you know, not to put you on the spot, like, but uh, what would you say? Like, kind of the fundamental idea is um you know i i know it as really uh do no harm to others basically that's basically the fundamental principle is the do no harm principle anything you would want to 
expound upon in, in addition to that? Well, I, I kind of keep it simple is that a person can make a choice for themselves better than a government can. You know what I mean? And that I just keep it that simple. A, a person is perfectly capable of making the best decision for themselves rather than a government bureaucrat. And I think that really uh, I'm I'm almost with that because there is there does seem to be a certain element of the population that are not going to get it together, no matter society's best intentions or the best intentions of families. You still get Jeffrey Dahmer's. You still get uh, you know what other uh, Ed Gaines or. Guys, whatever his name is, um, you know, you guys, well, yeah, you're gonna have countless... people no matter what, you know what I mean? You're gonna have people that you know are crazy in every society, you know. But then, uh, my question is like, okay, so, uh, at what point do we, at what point does the law ever step in? I mean, I brought up like serial killers, serial murderers, right? But, uh, we were touching upon decency laws a little while ago, you know, and obscenity laws, um. Like, at what point does government step in and like, do you think, or does, or do most libertarians think, you know, cause I think a lot of that seems to be a lot of the criticism thrown at a lot of libertarians is uh, how do you enforce any law if everybody is kind of able to do their own thing? Well, I think that's, uh, that it's more like anarchy when everybody is just doing their only their own thing completely. I'm not against laws uh, preventing certain things. Uh, I just believe that libertarianism uh, is, you know, it's just kind of founded on uh, the principles of the founding fathers of, uh, um, you know, just people making the decisions. And obviously, they weren't perfect either because I mean, their government was a lot more smaller back then, but. I I do think that uh it doesn't mean just total anarchy where people can just get naked in the streets and do whatever they want, but I do think that um government has a responsibility to protect the rights of every citizen, and that's what government is for—to protect your rights and kind of be sometimes like an uh, an arbitrator, you know, uh, between the person and government, and that's why we have court systems and all that stuff. But it's just grown into this ridiculous nanny nanny state that um everybody wants to be taken care of uh every you know we want to police the world we want to do all these things and at the end of the day um where's it really gotten us and I, I think that if we just shrunk the government uh we'd be a lot better when it comes to being able to deal with our finances as a country uh, obviously we're overextended there i mean we're the debt ceiling hasn't even been increased um so, they, you know, we talked about before, government just ruins everything. So I think um, if it was more of a free market economy, you would have more you would have more freedom because you wouldn't have all this ridiculous government bureaucracy overseeing um, all these different programs. And uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, regardless of like decently decency laws, I do believe in those type of things. Um, where do you draw the line? I mean. As you said, do no harm to others. Um, so if you're if you're directly harming somebody, I, I believe that you should you know you should pay the consequence. Totally, totally. I think 
you know, piggybacking off off of what you're uh, saying is uh, one of the issues, too, is that I think government becomes the uh, definer of its own morality in a lot of ways. So it's not that anything this is like almost the problem with uh, this would be like the problem with like a small town, like rigged court system. Right. It's like like if the judge is like the brothers with the sheriff and the sheriff is like you know, married to the whatever. It's just like this big who's everybody knows each other, this whole like and that, that's how power structures actually do work. I mean, you look at the Habsburgs uh, throughout Spain and Europe through the Holy Roman Empire. I mean, that's why they were all interrelated and inbred, but a uh, little bit of a digression there. But uh, I guess kind of going back to just government needing some sort of something to authorize its power and if it if it is the sole arbiter of its power then it's it's power only it only stands to increase its power like that's it's within its interest so that's why we see what is going on right now and i think it's really been allowed to get out of control because we live in such a secular society everybody is such a in uh, a self-proclaimed atheist in the west but they're, it's not like they're true atheists because I think humans do actually need something to plant their flag of authority on. They need something to guide them and they look to the government, they look to the state. And that's part of the reason why most people are very okay with giving into the nanny state. They're very okay with being glued to their TVs and looking to the high priest Fauci for what to do next with the uh, this great plague that has befallen the great empire. You know, it's it's all, it really is very biblical. Uh, people just think that they're beyond biblical times. They think because we live in the modern age that they're not beholden to the same sort of hypnotic powers that ancient peoples were. No, no, no. That's part of the power of a lot of uh, these old stories is that you you see that these things happen time and time and time again. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, libertarianism could ultimately work, but, you know, there does need to be some sort of enforcer of, of some law and, uh, and people need to give that sort of authority to some sort of government, you know, some sort of enforcement. And, um, if the government is the, and this is what's happened right now. I mean, government humans, we in the West, uh, we have given up our authority to the government to wield martial law and martial power. And thus it is gotten like to the point that we can't do anything that with, with uh, outside the scope of their, their authority, you know? So that's, that is ultimately the predicament where, where if it was like some sort of righteous authority, you know, government wouldn't, because really right now is what it is, is if you threaten the power of government, then you are the threat. But if it was some sort of righteous authority that government looked to uh, and in an ideal optimal state where, you know, it was less government oppression, it would just be based on right and wrong. It wouldn't be based on like a threat. And that's why I think, you know, Jefferson really was very adamant about the people standing up to a tyrannical government because one that doesn't truly represent the people, but actually represents its own interests is like the greatest threat of all. And I, I just, I ask people when we talk about politics, my question is, do you really feel represented by your representatives in government? 
And <clears throat> I, I don't, I, I never really get a response because I just think that people want to just ignore, you know, the, the facts of the world and what, what's going on. Because when I went and talked to that uh, congressman's representative uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I told him, I was like, listen, I don't feel like I have any representation in government at all because all the stuff that's been going on, I don't support. And my tax dollars are going to it. I mean, just every day I leave to go to work, there's always a cop sitting on the highway looking to pull somebody over. I mean, I, every day, you know? And it's just, that's what I'm paying for. I'm paying for a state trooper to sit, you know, for hours on the side of the road hoping to get somebody speeding going to work. And yep. it's and that's the problem because that is just a way to tax a person for breaking an arbitrary law. Like you know, I'm not saying that there should be no speeding laws. What I'm saying is it's just a tax, and this is the world that we're living in. And if people are okay with just throwing their money to the IRS um, when they go and they take the money and they fund wars and kill people in other countries and. Um, and they want to take the high road and say they're protecting people of other countries at the same time. How can you really say that the government represents you because they don't, there is no representation anymore, but they got everybody fooled with entertainment and the, the phones and all this stuff that they can just print money into oblivion and just destroy the currency. And, uh, and that's why prices are so high. Um, when we were getting all those checks in the mail, I knew that it was going to be a problem in a few years. I knew it, you know, and that's why markets, uh, just skyrocketed. I mean, any, all you gotta do is look up mon modern monetary theory and you will see exactly what has transpired in the past few years. I mean, it's always been that way, but it really, you know, they really turned the, the printer on and uh, they injected the markets with so much cash. Um, and it, that's another thing. Libertarians believe in free markets. This is not a free market. It's a rigged market. Free, uh, rigged by the Federal Reserve and, uh, you know, the, the government bureaucrats that obviously make a lot of money, um, you know, dealing with the lobbyists and all that stuff. But uh, we only have a, a, a minute 45. So, Jared, if you want to have anything else to say. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great, man. Um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the free markets. I That's the one other thing I think we kind of left out, uh, you know, the do no harm principle and the adherence to free markets for sure. But this is great, man. I think this was an awesome conversation. I knew it was. I knew it was going to be. Uh, and we touched on a lot of really cool stuff. And um, yeah, anything else uh, you want to leave people with? Yeah, yeah. I just I uh, thank you to the viewer, uh, to listeners. Hopefully, soon to be viewers. Um, one day, you know, as we work towards that. Uh, yeah. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks guys for listening to the Optimal State Podcast. We will see you guys uh, another few days. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk soon.